Great. Well, let's turn straight to Psalm chapter one. We're wrapping up our little series, looking at our family values, looking at who we are as a church. In the last few weeks, we've looked at our three kind of core family values of truth, transformation and presence. And we've been just camping out a little bit in Psalm chapter one, just using that psalm to help us understand what it means for us to be a people of truth, people of transformation and a people of presence. And we've seen through Psalm 1, haven't we, this picture of the one who's blessed, the blessed man, the blessed woman, and that blessing coming from holding on to the truth of God's word, believing that God is who he says he is in his word. And as a result of holding on to God's word as truth, enjoying the the flourishing and the growth and the transformation that comes from being rooted and grounded in God and who he says he is. And then last week we saw the reality of judgment that is coming for those who will not affirm and see Jesus for who he says he is. They will not be those who are amongst the congregation of the righteous when the day of judgment comes. And that should drive us as God's people. The reality of judgment that is coming and the reality that there are people that we know and we love, people in our families even, who will not be in that congregation that should drive us to be people who are tangibly present. People who aren't content just, content just to sit and watch life pass us by and watch other people's lives pass them by. And we've seen at, at each stage, haven't we, that, that all the work that God does, it's, it's by grace. It's by grace alone. The salvation that comes to us isn't by any work, isn't by any goodness that we do. We're not blessed because we're good people. We are blessed because we find ourselves in Christ. Any goodness that we enjoy comes to us by the grace of God. It is his free gift towards us. But but we want to just round out our series, just really pressing it a little bit deeper. We acknowledge that all of this is a work of God. It is his grace towards us. But what does it look like for us as a church, for us as God's people, to really take hold of of the life and the calling that he has given us as God's people, to be present to be salt, to be light, to be the people that he has called us to be in the communities that he has placed us to be in. How do, we, how do we sustain that kind of life? And the answer, which we're going to see this afternoon, is being a people who are dependent on God in prayer. Being a people who are wholly dependent on God in prayer. Not dependent on our ability, not dependent on our efforts, not dependent on our church, but primarily dependent on God in prayer. And actually you see the psalmist coming to the same conclusion. So in Psalm 1, he just lives out this blessed life, but then we get lots of psalms that come after it, helping us see how how we sustain this blessed life. And straight away in Psalm chapter 2, we see a look at Psalm chapter 2 if you've got it open. Verse 7 and 8, the psalmist says, or he's quoting God who, who comes and answers a question of the psalmist. And God says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So if you want to sustain the life that God has given us, we need to come and ask of God. And then the next psalm, Psalm 3, verses 3 and 4. This is the psalmist speaking, David, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. David finds himself in a place of vulnerability, a place where he feels under attack. And the only way he can sustain himself in that situation is by crying out to God. And God mercifully answers him. 
We can go on again to Psalm 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Again, David finds himself in a situation, as we all do, where he's vulnerable, where he needs help. And his primary place that he finds himself is a place of prayer. He cries out to God again. Hear my prayer. Be gracious to me. He calls out to God. Psalm 5, verse 1. Give ear to my words. Listen to me, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you... Do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice? Again, David comes and he finds himself in a place of need. And where does he find himself? In a place of prayer. And we can keep going through the Psalms, right? Psalm after Psalm, we see to to sustain the life that God has given us, to be the people that he has called us to be. If we want to do that in a meaningful way, in a fruitful way, we need to be a people who are wholly dependent on God in prayer. We can't live this life without it. And it's not just the Psalms, right? We go through all scripture and we see God's people, men and women on their knees, dependent on their God in prayer because we cannot live this life that he has called us to live without it. God has called his people to depend on him, to lean into him, to call out to him, to be a people who are dependent on him in prayer. As we think of our values of truth, transformation and presence, folks, we have no hope of being able to delight in God's word unless we are dependent on God in prayer. We have no hope of growing the fruit of the spirit within us, seeing the transformation that we desire in our lives and we desire in each other's lives unless we are dependent on God in prayer. We can't bring about that fruit. Folks, as we think and we reflected last week of the 1.6 million people in our region, of the five and a half billion people across the world who don't confess Jesus as their Lord and their saviour, their only hope for salvation is the church, but it is a church that is fueled by prayer. Dependent on God in prayer because we can't save them. And so here's where we're going to go in the next few moments. We're going to see the language of prayer, what it is. We're going to see the necessity of prayer, why we need it. And we're going to see practically how it is that we pray. And we're going to just spend a little bit of time in the book of Philippians. So if you can turn there. We've got a P in the Old Testament. We're going to go to a P in the New Testament, to the book of Philippians, the letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi. I'm going to read uh, Philippians chapter 3 down to, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 down to verse 11. And then I'm going to pray. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, as we read uh, this portion of Scripture together, we're going to learn the language, the necessity And then we're going to talk about the practicality of prayer. So let me read and then I'll pray. This is the Apostle Paul speaking as he writes to the church in Philippi and he says this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that these words that we read are your words to us. Thank you that you've given us your word to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us in paths of righteousness. And we pray this afternoon as we hear from you in your word and by the power of your spirit, that we would have ears to hear and hearts that are ready to change. Thank you that these words are like, are like no other words that we will read this week. Your word is life to us. These words are living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so Holy Spirit, as you are here now, present amongst your people, we ask that you would do a work in each of us to make us more like Jesus, transform us more into his glorious likeness. Help us to put sin to death and help us to crave, desire, righteousness. Help us to grow in our affection for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that he would be glorified amongst us, for it's in his name that we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, let's think first of the language of prayer. What is it? Um, most of you know Elizabeth and I have got two kids, Ruthie and Micah. They're upstairs uh, uh, playing, learning, and Liberty Kids. And they're at that sweet stage in life where they're still physically small enough and um, kind of emotionally uh, gently enough to come into bed with us. And one of their favourite pastimes is climbing into bed with mum and dad. We can just about squash in, just about, eh? getting to the point where someone's going to fall off. Uh, but they squash in with us. And one of their favourite things they love to do is just to sit with us and to hear stories from mum and dad. Like They just love hearing about what we were like when we were kids, just flicking through old photos on the computer. And it's getting harder and harder to do that, not just because they're too big, but because uh, Ruthie in particular, who's nine going on 10, she's becoming less and less dependent on us. She's becoming more and more independent as a young lady. She's less and less a, a kid or a toddler or, or a child in that sense. She is becoming into a young lady. And that's a wonderful thing. Like we give God thanks for that. But there is a sense in which she's become more independent. And those moments of closeness and openness and dependency as, as we're together and they relate to us as kids relate to, to parents, they relate to us as their mom and their dad and the fount of all knowledge, like they, they trust us so much with what we say, what we say goes in our house because they believe us, they trust us, they depend on us. Those moments are becoming less frequent as they become more dependent. But at the moment, we are in that sweet stage real childlike dependency and they depend on us and they are able to depend on us because they feel safe with us we're not going to harm them we're not going to deceive them we only want what's good for them so they feel safe with us and so they can depend on us and that safety and dependency opens up a door to honesty they can tell us anything they know that we're not going to throw them off the house. They know we're not going to beat them up. They know we're not going to disown them as their children. There's an open door to communicate with us in light of the relationship that we have of a father and mother 
with their son and their daughter. Folks, there was a time when that was the norm for how all of humanity related to God. Closeness, openness, a dependency. Children engaging with the Heavenly Father, feeling safe within that relationship. Being able to have an open door of communication with our Heavenly Father. There was a time when that was the norm for all of humanity. When prayer, so talking to God and listening to God, prayer was was as natural as talking to the person next to us. Because that's actually what was happening. Now I'm going all the way back to the very first pages of our Bibles. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. That was what it was like for humanity at one point an open door with our Heavenly Father. Being able to communicate with Him freely, openly, honestly. And I'll be honest, guys, there is... There's nothing more, particularly as we just think of wrapping up this series and wanting to really just encourage us as a church. There's nothing more that I want us to go out this afternoon with than being more fired up to pray. I want us to pray more as a church. I want you to pray more as individuals. I want to pray more individually in my life. I want Elizabeth and I to pray more as as a marriage. I want our family. I want us all to pray wherever we are. I want us to pray more and for right reasons. Not because I just think it's a good thing. We're going to see in a moment why it's necessary that God's people pray. We can't really jump into the the reasons why without first seeing what it is. What is prayer? Because I know, because I feel it myself sometimes. I know some of us are intimidated by prayer. You know, when it comes to that point in GC where it's like, okay, we're going to take some time to pray and just go around the room. and, And some of us honestly feel anxious. As soon as the GC leader, we can feel it coming. Like, like, oh no, like, let's hope someone else prays before us. And we feel anxious, we feel nervous. And some of us feel intimidated by the idea of praying. We don't know where to start. If you're new to the Christian faith, maybe you're hearing about prayer and you're like, I can talk to God. God hears me. When we're talking about how we pray and, and specifically about having a rhythm of regular dependent prayer, I want to encourage you this afternoon. That type of prayer, that type of communicating with God is more natural to you than you know. A regular rhythm of dependent prayer, speaking to God and listening to God is more natural to you than you know. And here's here's what I mean. The Bible teaches us that there is one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And each member of the Trinity, they communicate with each other perfectly, openly, and fluently. The Father speaks to the Son and the Son understands the Father perfectly. The Spirit speaks to the Son and the the Son understands the Spirit perfectly. There is this perfect communication between the Trinity, each person speaking and, and and the next understanding so clearly with no ambiguity what the other person is saying. There is complete clarity and communication in the Trinity. We're let in on one of their conversations right at the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It gets to the last day of creation, day six, and we hear a conversation. The Bible records them saying this, let us make man in our own image. They talk together, they plan together, and they create humanity in their image. Adam has created the first human in the image, not of one person, 
for the image of a Trinitarian God, a communicating God, a God who has communicated perfectly for all of eternity. Adam is created in that image. And so within Adam, within first humanity, there is an inherent, inherent natural and instinctive desire to talk to God. And that's what he did. God spoke with God. God, uh, God spoke with Adam. Adam listened to God. And I don't really ever thought about this, but even before he was created, Adam was talking. His first conversations were with God. Before he knew how to communicate with another human being, he was able to communicate with God. He spoke and he listened to God. That's what we call prayer, right? Speaking and listening to God. So humanity's first language, folks, was prayer. That was the first way that we communicated. It was prayer. But I know the reality for a lot of us is so often prayer feels like a foreign language, right? It feels difficult. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see why. In Genesis 3, we know that Adam and Eve rebelled against God and their union that they had together was broken. And their communication on the back of that was broken. The perfect, flawless words of God that came towards humanity were now contested. They had each other's words. They had the words of the devil that pulled a veil over their instinctive desire to depend on God. They were deceived into thinking that they didn't need God. They were deceived into thinking that they knew best, that they could depend on themselves. As humanity sinned and as humanity continued to sin, a barrier went up between them and God. And a barrier went up because God is all of these things. A barrier went up between humanity and the source of life, hope, rest, help, truth, all that is good. Sin separated us from those things. Like it's no wonder that the Bible calls people outside of a relationship of God lost. Because that's what we are. Outside of a relationship with God, we are lost. Once we could go to the author of life and glean all of his wisdom and he would tell us and we could hear him clearly what is the way to, to live, how we can flourish in life. But as we come into this world, our ear now is bent to cheap imitations of truth. Counterfeit gods, created things that were never designed to lead us into paths of life. Instead of listening to God and speaking to him, as we did with our first language, now we listen to these other things. And so trying to pray, trying to listen to God, trying to speak to him, it does sometimes feel like a foreign language. When we go back to scripture and we see in the first pages, we see that that was our first language. Outside of a relationship with God, you will feel the lessons of being out of his presence and you will feel the confusion of listening to a chorus of voices in this world who will deceive you into thinking that this is the way to life. And the only way out of that is to put your faith in Jesus to redeem you from the judgment that is coming to you for your sin. For Christians, you have been redeemed. You are a redeemed image bearer of God. You've been united to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That wall of hostility that went up in Eden, Eden has come down. It's been raised to the ground. 
and the confusing voices that come to us from the world, our flesh and the devil, those voices are exposed through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit within us. What we lost in the garden is being recovered and healed within us. And folks, that includes our first language of prayer. But once felt like a foreign language, if you are a redeemed image bearer of God, because you are created in the communicating image of a Trinitarian God, that language is now being recovered within you. See, the foundation for Paul's prayer that we read in Philippians 1 there, it starts all the way back in Genesis. He is speaking in the language of prayer. He is speaking in the first language of humanity. A language that was once lost because of sin, but is now redeemed because of Jesus. And that means that we can come and we can speak and relate to God, not just as an ethereal thing. It means that we can speak to God and relate to him, not just as, as a, a God who is distant from us. In fact, look how, look how Paul speaks of God in verse 3. I thank my God. This isn't just some God who is distant. This isn't some God who belongs to someone else. No, Paul has a personal relationship with the Trinitarian God. That's who he speaks to when he prays. It's personal. It's close. It is like we're in so much of a richer picture coming as a child and just spending time in that intimate place with our parents. And we are able to do that if we are God's children. And so if you're a Christian... When prayer feels unnatural, when it feels like it's a foreign language, remember who you are. Remember that you are a redeemed image bearer of God, made in the image of a communicating God. Remember that you are a child of the Father and he longs to hear you. Remember that the dividing wall of hostility between you and God has been broken. And you have free access into his presence by the power of his spirit at any time. Remember that this is your language. And folks, remember how it came to you. Every prayer that you pray is blood-bought. It is marked with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you can freely come into the presence of God and bring your request to him because of the finished work of the cross. Remember who you are. Remember that this is your language and remember how it came to you. We have the language of prayer, but it's not just the language, folks. It is necessary for us to pray. It is more than just a language that we speak. This is a language that we must speak. And back in 2012, there was a, an incredible story that came out about a, a deep sea diver called Chris Lemons. Unfortunately, incredible diver. Well, we'll see how the story goes on. In 2012, he was on a routine job. Um, he was near the bottom of the North Sea, um, out on the East Coast, um, servicing some part of an oil rig thing at the bottom of the sea. And everything was planned out well. It was a, a routine day, but on the top of uh, the sea, kind of at surface level, uh, a storm was brewing. So if you don't understand how saturation diving works, which none of us do, so I'll tell you, um, basically you can't just jump into the bottom of the ocean. The pressure is too high. The oxygen clearly is, is um, too thin to use normal apparatus. So what they will do is they'll spend a few days acclimatizing to that kind of environment in a, in a pressurized container. And then uh, you can't even just go straight down. They put you in a diving belt. So the, the boat will lower this diving belt to a certain level. 
and you'll be in there with a couple of other divers who are there for safety and there to make sure everything works. And there's a, there's a cord which is fixed from the ship to this diving bell. And this cord has four things going through it. It has your water, um, air supply, heat and light and communications. That's five. There's five things going up and down. there, And it's essential that that's connected. And so it's connected to the diving bell. And then when the guy's ready to dive, he slips out of the diving bell in his diving suit and goes down to the bottom of the ocean and he does his work. And he's then connected to the diving bell. Are you with me so far? Is this clear? We can, we're getting our accreditation almost on our way. So this day he's lowered down and he's working on the apparatus at the bottom. The storm kicks off on the surface of the sea and it gets so violent that the navigation system that holds the boat in position it, it turns off, it malfunctions, and the boat begins to drift. And as the boat drifts, the cord, which is fixed to the diving bell, which is fixed to Chris Lemons on the bottom of the ocean, gets tighter and tighter until it gets so tight that, that it starts pulling him along the seabed, and then his umbilical cord gets wrapped around this piece of metal, and the tension gets greater and greater and greater until eventually it snaps. And here's this man lying on the bottom of the ocean with five minutes left of heat, uh, with no communication, and the boat is floating away. And afterwards, this is a bit of a spoiler, clearly he can't write if he died, but um, afterwards he wrote this. As he's lying on the bottom of the ocean, seeing the diving bell float away, he said, I accepted there was no hope of survival. I was powerless to do anything to save myself. My lifeline had gone. You see, folks, we should think of prayer in those kind of terms. Everything that we need comes from God. If we think that we can depend on our own strength, our own wisdom, to work our way through whatever is going to face us tomorrow morning, we are fools. Christians are people who wholly depend on God. And prayer is like that umbilical cord that fixes us, that helps us to come like the psalmist did and call and cry out to God, God, I, God, I can't face this on my own. I need your help. Helps us to come into the throne room of God. We shouldn't be there, folks, but, but has us come into the throne room of God and to receive all that we need. Peace, joy, love, assurance of who we are in Christ. We can't do that on our own. Prayer is that connection with God that helps us go out into the world and speak and live out the gospel to people who clearly don't want to hear it with the hope that God can change their heart by the power of his spirit. Without prayer, folks, we are just bubbling along on the bottom of the ocean. We cannot live this life without it. Or at least we cannot flourish in the life that he has called us into. Language of prayer is essential to our spiritual well-being and to those around us. You see, when Paul is writing this church in, to the church in Philippi, there are things that he deeply desires for them. He wants things for them. He wants a certain type of transformation and change in their life. Like look down at verses 9 to 11 and you'll see. He wants them to abound in love. Do you see that there in verse nine? 
He wants them to be able to discern what is good and what is pure. He wants them to be ready for Christ's return. He wants them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness in verse 11. He wants God to be glorified and to be praised. So here's the question out of that list of things. What can Paul do in his own strength? Can he make them abound in love? Can he give them wisdom so that they can discern what is good? Can he prepare them for Christ's return and strengthen them in their spirit and their faith? Can he fill them with the fruit of righteousness? Can he? No. Which is why he asks God. Paul comes to God and asks him of things that he knows he cannot do. He asks God to, to work in ways and to bring about things that he knows are humanly impossible. And so let me ask, when we look at our family values of truth, transformation and presence, of being a people who hold out and hold on to God's truth, of being a people who, who pursue transformation, who, who increasingly want to become more like Jesus in our lives and, and pursue that type of change in, in each other's lives, to be a people who are practicing tangible presence, living and speaking out the gospel, desiring salvation for those that we are engaging with, desiring revival in our city. Can we do any of these things in our own strength? Can we feed our own souls with truth? Can we put sin to death? Can we save the lost around us? No. See, ultimately, the most urgent things that we need and that Lark Lane needs and this city needs are things that we cannot give them. Which is why we pray. Which is why we want to be a church who are utterly dependent on God in prayer. Who are a people individually and corporately who say and confess God without you, we can do nothing. Paul gives a tangible example of what this looks like. If you just look down to verse 19 of chapter one, listen to what he says. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So just to give a bit of context of what's going on, the apostle Paul finds himself in prison. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi 2000 years ago. And he's writing to encourage them. And this is probably the the last time that, that Paul's in prison. And it's his last time because he never really finds his way out, right? Like he knows that execution is coming. And he finds himself in a place that, that normally in our, in our human strength, and our human wisdom, we would be freaking out. We would be overcome with fear. We would be overcome with anxiety. We would be questioning, God, what are you doing? Like Paul knows he's wired to be a pastor. He's wired to be out there in a mission, as a missionary. But he finds himself here in chains, And yet he comes to a place in verse 19 where he says, that's okay. I know that God is at work. I'm okay with being in chains. I'm okay probably with with my execution coming. I'm okay with it because I know God is going to do a work within all of this. How does he come to that peace? How does he come to that real confidence in the sovereignty of God? What does he say in verse 19? I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit. Paul cannot muster up the confidence that he needs. The peace that he needs. He knows he needs their prayers. 
and they pray. Before we go on to the practicalities of prayer, just two things to highlight to encourage us from just that one verse. The Philippians are bringing their pleas to God. They are praying. They are speaking to God. They are calling out to God. And as a result of their prayers, history is shaped. Paul is filled with peace and confidence. History is shaped through the prayers of the Philippians. That is what prayer accomplishes. Our prayers shape our future to be what God has ordained them to be. Don't think that prayer is manipulating God. God knows what he wants to do and he will do what he is ordained to do. We are praying for what he has already ordained. We prioritize prayer because it is the means for the glorious will of God to be realized on earth. That's what it means to pray the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on heaven as it is on earth. Your kingdom come. We don't pray for our kingdom to be established. We come and we cry out to God and say, your will be done. Do what you've already ordained. Bring it about. But God in his wisdom uses our prayers to do that. History is shaped through the answers to prayers that we have lifted up to God. And secondly, be encouraged with this. You don't need to have a degree or years of Christian faith to be able to pray and for your prayers to be effective. Like, these guys pray for Paul and God answers their prayer. If you know a little bit about the church in Philippi, you'll know they're a young church, probably younger than we are. They've only been around for a few years. They're just working out the Christian faith. They're understanding what it is to follow Jesus. But they bring their requests to God. They pray and God answers their prayers. You don't need to have a degree. You don't need to have been a Christian for years and years and years, folks. You don't even need to be oozing confidence to be able to speak and listen to God. You just need to believe that he is who he says he is and he wants to hear from you. See the power, see the potential and see the necessity of prayer, folks, to accomplish God's will. Prayer is necessary for us if we want to be fruitful in the life that he has called us into. But what is that going to look like? Well, as we close out, let me just give us four, hopefully practical things that we can take out this week and put into practice as we seek to be a people who are dependent on God in prayer. And the first thing is this. And this is particularly, if you struggle with prayer, if you find it to be like that foreign language, then here's a helpful thing to do. Before you pray, pray. That might feel like a bit of a, a contradiction or well, that doesn't make sense. What I mean is this. God's people are redeemed image bearers, right? Like we've established that from Genesis. God is restoring in us what we lost in the garden. We are able to come and speak to him. We are able to be vulnerable and open with him. We are able because we know that in his presence, it is safe. We are able to engage with him. He is restoring what was lost and what was broken in Eden But we aren't in Eden. We are in a world that is broken. We have a flesh that so often wages war against us. And we have the whispers of the devil around us. There is so much competing for our ears. So much trying to prevent us from speaking and listening to God. So don't just assume that you can walk into a really wonderful prayer time with God and no one's going to stop you. There are things preventing you from praying. Because of what we just said, it accomplishes the will of God. 
listen to what um, Samuel Chadwick, who was an Anglican minister at the back end of the um, 19th century, he says this about prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. You know what he's saying? We can do all of the Christian work that we want, but unless it is fueled by dependence on God in prayer, we can't expect it to be fruitful, folks. There is so much warring against us when we pray. So if you find it hard to pray, just consider that. The world, the flesh, and the devil don't want you to come to God. They don't want you to listen to God. And so before you pray, pray. And it can be as simple as this. Holy Spirit, help me pray. Amen. And then just pray. Ask for his help. Pray about praying. Secondly, pray continually. You'll know this verse probably from 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing. Like we hear that's one of those verses where we're like, what does that mean? Like how do we pray? I've got a job to do, you know? I've got dishes to to clean. How do you pray without ceasing? Like is that actually what Paul means? That from the first moment of the day to the last moment of the night we pray. Well, only if prayer is us talking, right? But it's so much more than that. Prayer is us speaking to God, but it's also us listening to God. And so I do think Paul wants us to take every opportunity to speak to God. I think that's really what he's saying when we, when we talk about praying without ceasing. He does want us to, to take every opportunity to come and speak to God, to speak to him. But not to hang up once we finished. To keep our ears open for what he might be saying to us. To keep your ear open throughout the day, to speak and to listen. What does that look like to listen? Well, in the business of your day, to find that place or find that time of quiet. You know, Jesus would often withdraw to the quiet place. He was busy, you know. He had a job. He worked hard. He was around people. But he withdrew to a quiet space, this secret space where he could speak and listen to God away from the distractions and the business of the day. So what is it for you? That commute to work. Could you switch the radio off for 10 minutes? Just say, okay, God, I'm listening. What do you want to say? Could it be when your, your life is like this and it's literally nonstop noises, kids all the way through the day? Could it be as you lay your head down, you just take five minutes? Okay, God, I'm listening. What do you want to say? Find that quiet space. Find that secret place. Listen to God, shut off the noise, shut off the distraction and pray continually. Next, we pray with persistence. We're back in Philippians 1, Paul makes a bold statement in verse 6. He's talking to the Philippians and he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like that's a bold statement. I am sure that what God has started in you, he will bring it to completion. Paul can't see the future. He's not God. He can't see what is coming. So how can he so boldly claim and say in his prayers, I'm so confident that God's going to complete what he started. Well, because he's praying the promises of God. 
He's praying things which he knows are absolutely true. He knows that God will never let one of his little ones depart from him. He knows that he will always finish a work that he has started in the lives of those who are his. He knows that the finished work of the cross is finished. And so Paul stands on the promises of God and prays in light of them. He prays the promises. Folks, God always keeps his promises, so don't give up. When you are praying for things that he has said he will do, don't give up. If you are struggling in the faith, if you are feeling weary in the faith, if you are doubting, know that there is a promise of God in here that says he will carry you through to the end. As we look out at the city and we realize we're still here, Jesus hasn't returned, we can be confident there are still many people to be brought into the kingdom of God. We stand on the promise and we pray and we ask and we plead and can I say this, we fast. We don't give up, we press in and we plead. And just on fasting, folks, fasting isn't just for the super spiritual. It isn't like this kind of, you know, this entry, like higher level thing that you enter into once you've been a Christian for a while. No, fasting, if you look in the New Testament, is just a normal, natural part of the Christian life. And if you don't know what fasting is, it is taking something out of your life, primarily in Scripture, it's food. For a season, whether that's a day or a few days, taking it, putting, one to, putting it to one side. And during that season, praying specifically into a certain situation or into a certain need or on a certain promise. And that, that position of fasting is both to, just to help you focus in prayer, but it's also to, to show that you, you wholly depend on God. That you need him more than you need food. Fasting is for all of us as church. It's a regular practice of God's people. And tomorrow's email, when it comes out in the morning, you're going to see just a a little article there that helps you understand a little bit more about what fasting is. Because I'd love to encourage us more to think about what it might look like monthly to put this into into your rhythm as, as, as a Christian. What does it look like just to take some time out and fast? We're going to fast specifically about something in the life of the church in a few weeks' time. So just take some time tomorrow when that comes out, read it, study it, and let's put it into practice. Let's pray with persistence. And finally, let's pray as a priority. I think in the Gospels, how much time Jesus, who is God, spends time in prayer. Like think of the priority that Jesus puts on prayer, on speaking to his Father, on listening to his Father. Like if Jesus, who is God, depends on God in prayer, how much more do we need to depend on it? How much more do we need to prioritise prayer, folks? Like we're in an exciting season as a church. God has grown us. God is bringing about some exciting answers to prayer, specific healing that we've been praying for, specific provision that we've been asking for. Not one of those things have been brought about through our own efforts. They are all specific answers to prayers that we have lifted to God. And I'll be honest, I want more. Do you? Do you want to see more healing in the life of Liberty Church? Do you want to see God strengthen us with more people coming along to get on us in the mission? Do you want to see more people being reached with the gospel? being saved by the gospel, being strengthened in their faith, being moved towards a love in Jesus Christ. Do you want to see more of that? I do. 
And so we prioritise prayer. This needs to be right at the front of what we do as Christians, folks, and right at the front of what we do as a church. And I'll be honest, we've tried a few things, haven't we, over the last few years? We've tried a few different ways of praying, a different ways of prioritising it, and some have been helpful, some we've just stumbled through. We've prayed, we've prayed a lot in different shapes and forms. COVID has, has just muddled things up a little bit. But moving forward from this month, we want this to be a priority in our calendars. And so every third Wednesday in the month, we're going to come together corporately and we're going to pray. And so this month on Wednesday, the something of October, wherever the third Wednesday is, we're going to come here. The ladies have graciously opened up Hamlet for us. It's an answer to prayer. And they're letting us come in. We're going to come in at seven. We're going to sing. That's prayers, by the way, folks, just with a melody. We're going to sing prayers of praise. We're going to come and bring specific prayers of petition, things that we need as a church, things that we want to give thanks for as a church. Every third Wednesday of the month, we're going to prioritise that time. So please put that in your diary. Please don't think that this is a week off GC. It's not. This is a high point of the month, a high point of God's people coming together and dependent on him in prayer. But before then, what does it look this, like this week? To prioritise prayer. To see that this is your language. To see that because of the finished work of the cross, you have entry into the presence of God. To bring your requests. To hear from him. Where is that quiet space going to be? Where you can pray, where you can listen without the distractions. How are you going to pray against those things that are trying to stop you from praying? What does it look like for you to prioritise prayer? To acknowledge, yeah, God, we can't do anything without you. We need you. We need you to do the work that you've already ordained that you're going to do. I want to encourage us, folks. Like This isn't a, a downer. This is something exciting. Prayer is a privilege. It is. It is a gift to the church. God has so much that he wants to do in our lives and in this community. And he just wants us to come and ask. So I'm going to do that now. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for our community. And I'm going to prepare us as we come. And Ryan leads us through communion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that we can come into your presence by the power of your spirit. And bring our requests to you. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that you aren't silent. Thank you that we have your word. All that we need for a life of flourishing, a life of growing in the likeness of your son. We thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you for the assurance that prayer gives us. We thank you for the, the joy that it gives us. As Paul says, as he prays for the church in Philippi, the joy that he's filled with as he prays for it confident that the things that he is asking for you will give because he's praying your promises help us to pray like that help us to pray with confidence that you will do what you said you will do help us to season our prayers with your promises help us to press in as well to persist help us to be patient in prayer but persistent in prayer to keep praying to fast to live in a way that looks like we would fall apart without you. Thank you that every good gift comes from you. Thank you for all of the goodness that we are enjoying at the moment, personally, 
in our families, in the life of our church. Thank you that you've given those things to us as we've come and we've asked. Father, help us to trust in your sovereignty as well, where we ask and you withhold. Help us to know that it is your will that will be done. It is your kingdom that will be built here, not our own. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you've made a way. Thank you that we are no longer separated from God because you have brought down the dividing wall of hostility. Thank you that your people are united together and united to God because of your shed blood and your broken body. And Holy Spirit, as we go out this week, you know what we're going to contend against. Help us to remember who we are. Help us to remember the language that we have been given. Help us to speak it and to listen to it as you speak to us through your word. Help us to know that each of the prayers that we pray, these are blood-bought prayers. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this gift. Grow it in as we pray. Help us as a church to increasingly depend on our God in prayer. Would that be a mark of Liberty Church, that we are a praying people, that we are useless without God? Increasingly make that to be so obvious to us, we pray. That's in Jesus' name that we ask.